Um, you know, the story you're bringing up with your mother and what I'm talking about with my father, um, obviously I don't know your mother, but like, um, it, it might be the thing that we're there, you know, folks are more concerned about the reflection on them. How will they be viewed? Did they do a bad job parenting? Um, whatever the case might be. And if you're more interested in, if you're more concerned about how people might view you and your family, than your kid's best interest, then you're going to behave a very different way than if you say, look, I just want my kid to do well. If so-and-so thinks something about me, whatever, um, but I have to put my kid first. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Mental Purpose Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about colleges and college in general, but here's the cool thing. I'm not a huge fan of college, although I'm a huge fan of the college that I went to. And I, I really, I had a hard time with this guest at first because when his bio came over, the guy is majorly educated and has an expert when it comes to college admissions, especially high-end stuff like medical school, law school. And I saw it and I originally turned it down. And I'm telling you that because there's a lot of lessons in this for me and subsequently for you within this episode. And I guess from what I learned too, and I just wanted to share it. So I, I, I talked to Meredith about it, and I went back, and she goes, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to learn something? What's the worst that's going to happen? You just don't release it? And I went back, and I said, you know what? This isn't about me. It's about you. I don't need to press my opinion on college. I need to ask this guy questions so he can give us his for you to hear. And that is the big mindset shift for me in this episode, that I made that choice before I agreed then I agreed, then I came on, and I thought, well, you know, what are we going to talk about? I don't really want to go into my opinion on college because it's not about me. So then we found what we were going to talk about, and we talked about all kinds of cool stuff. We're going to talk about ADD, school systems, teachers versus educators. We're going to talk about fears that parents have. We're going we're gonna to talk about parenting. The big thing we're going to get into is the questions that parents can ask their children about what they're into, not just for college but in, in life in general. We're going to talk about how parents put their own fears and insecurities into programming their kids so that parents look good and avoid looking bad. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about today around those lines. And it's really funny because we actually don't talk about the thing that I thought we were going to talk about, which was, is college good or bad? Should you go to college? What about the college bubble? We kind of talk about the college bubble a little bit at the end, but this one was fun. This one was really, really fun, and I was really surprised because, you know, I don't write questions for any of these things. I just maybe jot down some ideas or some things I want to talk about, but this one, I, I'm gonna, we're, we're going to have him back on. Dr. Shamasin is going to be back on, and we're going to dig in and talk even deeper about the subjects we talked about in this one. So for those of you that are listening, you're about to get on a really cool ride where I'm learning, like I learn on every podcast, where I'm learning and he's learning while you're learning. It's freaking awesome. Now, before we get started, a couple things, right? Free resources for you. One, the Men on Purpose community. The Men on Purpose community on Facebook is a free resource, an ecosystem, incredible place for us to talk about deeper level stuff, for us to be around authentic and purposeful people who are doing things on purpose, going places in their life. We've got coaching in there. We've got free giveaways in there. We've got questions in there to answer. Got my free ebook in there, which is only available to people who are in that community. 
Uh, you've got the website, ianloboss.com. You've got our Front Runner Live events, which by this time, by the time this airs, we've got one coming up in September, October, and November. Probably still have some seats open. I highly doubt it, but if we do, we'll just create another event. That's why we keep creating events, because we have a lot of demand. So that's the best part. If you need me for coaching and consulting, you know what we do. We do personal development coaching mixed with business development. It is awesome. It's a lot of fun. Our, our testimonials speak for themselves. Check out the website. Okay. Let me read the guest intro really quickly because I think it's very impressive. He, the, the, guy's, the guy's awesome. Um, so Dr. Shamasan is the founder of Shamasan Academic Consulting, one of the world's foremost experts on medical school admissions, college admissions, and uh, grad school admissions. For, for 20 years, him and his team have helped thousands of students get into medical school and top colleges using his systematic and proprietary approach. I think that's awesome because I love systems. Now, Dr. Shamasan's admissions expertise has been featured in various media outlets, including Washington Post, Business Insider, and he's been invited to speak at Yale, Stanford, UC Berkeley, and other prestigious organizations and institutions about various aspects of the admissions process. So, you want to know from a high-level dude about college? You want to know what to do if you're a parent? If you have a kid going to college, shit, you, should, you should know what to do if your kid's three years old so you can help mold in the most serving way possible so that you're not facing this kid who's out for college and hates you because you pushed him because you were afraid of it looking bad on you. That's what we're going to talk about today. Hope you guys enjoy this. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. All right, Dr. Shumasin, let's roll, man. College. It's a, it's a big topic, and I kind of said this in the intro, but I want to reiterate this. When your bio and your, and your one sheet came over, I immediately said no because you're an expert at college in, enrollment, placement, and, and other things that you're going to get into. And then I went back and I said, wait a minute. He showed up for a reason. Maybe there's something else that I'm not seeing here. So I challenged myself to look at that, and I said, you know, maybe he'd be open to talking about the opposite, which in my world, in the entrepreneurial world, and a lot of my friends in that circle – we don't do college. My parents made me go to college. My, I, I, don't get, I could care less if my kids go to college. We don't talk about college. I don't save for college. So I want to get into your story because it's very interesting, and I think there's a lot of really cool things we're going to talk about, not just about college, whether to or whether it's good or bad or serving or non-serving, but a lot of things that school does to you, not exactly for you, that you and I have had a, that you and I have had a really good run at pushing out of and getting to where we are because we pushed away from it or out of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to dig into it all for you. And, you know, just to preface our conversation, you know, my, my intention has never been, uh, you know, when I certainly, you know, when we connected Ian, but also when I help students, my, my thing is not like you need to do this specific X, Y, and Z, right? It's more so about if you want to do it, how do you do it right? How do you maximize it? And so on, right? And so right. That's, that's what I'm all about, really. And, you know, of course, in the work that I do, we focus on, you know, helping a, you know, a particular group of people who's very high achieving and, you know, wants sure. to get into these top, top schools. And, and I think that's great. And we're, our students are ultra successful. You know, at the time we're recording this, we're full and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's, it's been such a blessing in that way. Um, but, you know, my, certainly my experience was not one of smooth sailing all through, yeah. you know, from elementary to middle school to high school and college, grad school 
have had a lot of you know stuff thrown at me along the way, words. Uh, you know, hurtful words, uh, people who didn't believe, labels, and all this kind of stuff that we can get into. So I'm, I'm totally game to talk about the, the quote-unquote opposite, um, I think <laughs> is how you phrased it. It might not even be the opposite. Maybe we're just talking about deeper. Maybe we're just talking, mm-hmm. like, I do, if you are going to be a professional, a doctor, lawyer, accountant, engineer, you have to go to higher education. It's a given, no doubt. But for the rest of the world that is not in that boat, let's talk about the deeper level stuff that I think people are afraid to talk about. So the one thing that really comes up for me is labels. And from the time I was in kindergarten in 1986, I was the bad kid. I was the kid with ADD. I was the kid that didn't listen. I was the kid with defiance disorder. I was the kid with... Uh, dyslexia. I was the kid with, that was what I was. There was no identity to me. It was that stuff. And I don't blame my teachers. They were uninformed, miseducated, low level public school teachers. Not that all public school teachers are, but these were in my opinion. And I have a lot of friends who are teachers that are phenomenal educators, actual educators, not teachers, not read a book and regurgitate, but, but Get the knowledge, get, get it deep, and teach and educate the students. And so for any teachers out there that are offended by that, that's you. You're the teacher. You're the person that reads it in a book and then just regurgitates it back. So you can be offended. I'm talking about those teachers that need to take a look and realize the things that it could be doing to a kid that isn't like you and I who push out of those things, those labels. So let's talk about those labels. I was ADD, ADHD, hyper, dis- uh, God knows, whatever, d- defiant disorder, what- whatever it was, I was labeled. And luckily, I got out. That could have damaged me for life. And my parents believed it too. Well, my mom did. My dad didn't. Um, what were your labels? And how did you, how did you wiggle out of that? Yeah, so um, it's interesting you you bring this up. So, uh, you know, my PhD is actually in clinical psychology and my dissertation was on uh, uh, ADHD diagnostics and oppositional defiant disorder diagnostics, literally all the stuff that you're talking about. How do you actually (laughs) diagnose and evaluate these kinds of things? So funny coincidence there. But um, yeah, so I, you know, my story was was interesting. So certainly not, and and it's funny, we're talking about this in 2021, because, you know, going back to 1986, like 35 years ago, right now, when you say these words, I think most people have heard of them. They have, you know, some feelings about them. They've heard about that, you know, maybe overdiagnosed, underdiagnosed, medication, not medication, you know, all this kind of stuff. Back in 1986, um, you know, this was not really... Uh, discussed. It wasn't as widely known, right? And so, um, in, and and I'll, I'm bringing this up for a particular reason, Ian, which is so around eight, nine years old. I forget the exact age I was, but I started having these, you know, facial tics. And people who are watching, like, you know, I'll make grimaces with my face, I'll blink, I'll make face and stuff like that. And um, I remember my dad, uh, you know, was like, "Stop doing that!" Like. You know, it's a bad habit. Stop it. What are people going to think of you? What are they going to think of me? He was the principal of my really small school. So there was a lot of this, like, how is it going to reflect on me kind of thing? And I was like, I can't stop. Uh, you know, it's just the thing. I'd, and then, you know, so there was all this, you know, drama around that. And we went to multiple different, like, you know, doctors to figure it out, a child neurologist, adult neurologist, all this kind of stuff. Finally, there was someone who knew, like, right away, oh, that's Tourette's syndrome. 
And it was like really like it was kind of a relief for me because I was like, see, I'm not lying. This is like a thing. I right. Not, <laughs> it's not like I'm doing it on purpose. I can't stop it. There's a label. I'm like, okay, it's not. You know, there isn't some insane prognosis. You know, I don't have brain damage. Whatever the whatever my fears were at the time, and I think for my parents too. And I think my mom, you know, like understood and accepted that. My dad sort of like never really wrapped his head around it. Um, and uh, and and that's where I think I started experiencing a lot of you know. Uh, like pain, I guess, not because I had this thing, but because of the way people perceived me for it, right? So I was always like top of my class uh, growing up, you know, elementary school, middle school, all this kind of stuff. And it was interesting though, because people started like viewing me differently, I can tell. Certainly my peers, right? You know, kids obviously are going to make fun of kids. They'll, you know, make fun of the faces. They'll call names, all that kind of stuff. Um, but then also teachers too. Like if I took, let's say, a medication that would, you know, to help me reduce those, because they were more disruptive at the time. I would have like bigger shoulder strags. It was like, what bigger faces? All this kind of stuff. Maybe a few like, yeah. you know, some little noises, stuff like this, um, which I don't do anymore. But uh, at the time, you know, if I had something and I got a little drowsy, or you know, a physician said something like, "Oh, you can like chew gum in class. I'll give you a note, and that'll really help," or whatever. Um, I had even teachers saying stuff like, you know, you're faking it. Um, you know, uh, you're abnormal, uh, you're not going to make it, if you're going to make excuses like that. And like, hmm. keep in mind, Where I'm getting that? all A's. I'm doing great. In California? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, oh, wow. in Los Angeles, in my high school. And so like I had wow. even, you know, people, you know, teachers who were speaking with me that way in front of the whole class. Yeah. And uh, even administration saying, oh, this teacher's been around for 20, 30 years. They've, they're a good teacher. I'm like, well, I, I know, but they also said this insane thing to me just now. Yeah. Um, so there was, there was a lot of that. And, and that was for someone like me who, like I said, I was getting all A's in the, you know, as all this was happening. And so I've observed, you know, students who are maybe struggling a little bit more and are getting this communicated to them, whether actually, you know, directly, verbally or, you know, indirectly, whether they're being placed in certain classes, not being challenged enough because sure. there isn't really the belief, you know, from the teacher, from the educator. Um, yeah. It can be it can be pretty wild. And, and, you know, a lot of people with Tourette's syndrome actually don't make it to college let alone, you know, succeed at even levels beyond college and stuff like that. So part of my motivation has always been um, helping people achieve their educational and career goals. That sounds like kind of cheesy, you know, like, oh, marketing speak or like some, you know, tagline or whatever. But I actually mean it because if I didn't believe in myself and if there weren't a few select others, who knows, maybe I would have been like, oh, I can't do it. I would have bought into the sure. narrative that other people were trying to give me. And uh, and I see that a lot out there, whether it's kids from like lower socioeconomic backgrounds, first, you know, first in college, no one's a doctor in their family, but they want to go to medical school or, you know, um, you know, they're maybe number four in their class, not number one. I mean, everyone, everyone sort of we all hear the stuff being said about us or to us. And, you know, it's our job to decide whether or not we're going to internalize and buy into it versus say, you know what, I'm going to block this out. And, you know, this is my goal and I'm going to do it. Yeah. I totally agree. I, and there's some things that you were saying. It, it doesn't make me upset. It. My dad always used to tell me, like, just who, whatever people say to you, you, your choice is either fuel for your fire or it'll burn you down. Like, it's mm -hmm. you, you, you have a choice. 
And I, I, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of kids out there that just don't have that choice. I mean, just listening to your story, I, I, I remember back to first grade. I mean, you're six years old. Like, I'm six years old sitting at a, I mean, I'm back in Baltimore right now, but sitting at an elementary school up the street from my current house. And I remember being the bad kid in class. I didn't, I wasn't the bad kid in class. That's what the 75-year-old teacher who had been a teacher for probably 50 years told my parents and subsequently the class every day. And I wonder why that never soaked in. I mean, if I didn't have the type of defiance that I do, I could have been a statistic, man. Like, I could have been... I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying a statistic like not here anymore, but I'm saying a statistic like I could have just gotten in line and taken the medication mm-hmm. and, and not just the medication that the doctors were, were prescribing that was, that was irresponsible in my opinion because they never, they never dealt with, and this is something else I want to talk to you about, they never dealt with home life, you know, mm-hmm. things that are going on with diet. They never dealt with that, and they still don't deal with that, they, and they just don't because it's easier to push a pill, and that's fine for them. But... Like, I wonder what would have happened or what happens to these other kids. How many other kids are told what they are at such an impressionable young age, six, seven, eight years old, when the brain mm-hmm. is still really developing that, that, that personality and identity, and they believe it. And they're not lucky enough to have uh, oppositional defiant disorder and have an FU attitude towards authority like I did. Um, I wonder what they could be i wonder what they could do i I wonder how many kids actually don't make it through the system but they are a part of the system and they just unfortunately get bogged down and labeled by these these people in these schools who are nobody special in my opinion no one's special you have a little Mm -hmm. bit of an education and you know you have an authority to teach but like, I want to celebrate the extraordinary educators out there that go above and beyond to make sure they take that one kid who is having some challenge. Like, I had some amazing teachers in my, in my way, even in college, amazing teachers who grabbed me after class like day one and were like, you're going to be that guy, but I'm not going to let you because I see how smart you are and I see what you can do. So I'm going to let you I'm – gonna, I'm going to let the leash out on you. Like, I remember Dr. Sterngold when I was in uh, college. He said to me, I'm going to let the leash out on you. Don't take it. Don't take it for granted. Don't take advantage of it, but I'll let the leash out on you. I'll give you more time for things. I'll let you do your thing without educators like that. I would have been a statistic. I would have been beat down, stuck in a dead end job somewhere. I'm sure maybe dead. I don't know. I wouldn't be the person I am today. So I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm like talking out loud. I just, I I wonder what I wonder how many kids don't, don't get out of it like you and I did. And I think that's really sad. But what can we do to – it's not even what we can do. It's what the parents can do at home to encourage their children and not just go with what a teacher or a doctor says. This is what's wrong with your kid, you know? But then the other question I have is why, why, why didn't your dad – why didn't your dad want to believe that? Why didn't your dad support you more or did he? Yeah. Um, I mean, I can, I can speculate. I'll, I'll share, sure. you know, my thoughts and I think my parents' background also, uh, you know, plays into this. And so my parents, 
for a little bit of backstory, they're, they were born and raised in Lebanon. We're ethnically Armenian, um, but they were born and raised in Lebanon. And they, um, they fled a war, a civil war over yeah. there. Um, and my dad literally saw um, his mom die. Um, yeah. Like uh, from a cannon blast, like it was in front of him. Uh, so pretty gnarly stuff. And yeah. so when they came here, it wasn't, you know, it certainly wasn't with a lot of means. You know, my parents are actually educators. You know, my mom worked for the L.A. school district for many years. My dad, um, he's currently a professor, but he was a principal um, of a, you know, of like a lower school for a number of years. And so when they came, I mean, I think it meant a lot to them for us to go to school. First, education was sort of their ticket out of like a war-torn situation. And so education was like really important to them. And they wanted my brother and me to go to like you know, good college and get a good job or maybe a doctorate sure. degree or whatever the case, you know, all that kind of stuff, get security and all this kind of stuff. So I think that when, you know, I started exhibiting these, you know, this Tourette syndrome and, you know, I'm, I'm an adult now with, you know, with the, with the degree to do it, but I can pretty comfortably diagnose my younger self as, you know, having sure. ADHD, right? And, and I think when this stuff started coming out, it probably scared him. It threatened, um, you know, what he hoped for me, right? Like, well, he was supposed to be like X, Y, and Z, go to ABC type of school, do D, and F kind of job, you know, there were all this kind of stuff. And so when that happened, maybe it threatened it and he's like, oh crap, like if he, you know, if if he's going to have some difficulties, maybe he's not going to do X, Y, and Z. So like, come on, snap out of it, stop that. You right, do what you're right. supposed to, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that was sort of maybe his way to cope with that. I'm not sure. Um, my mom was a lot though. more... Just like, yeah, okay, this is a thing. I'm going to take you to your appointments. Like, um, you know, let's see what we can do. Like, if a teacher was being uh, difficult, she was like, he doesn't know better. You know, you're still going to be able to do all this kind of stuff. So I think that you, as adults, you know, whether it's our own kids or whether, you know, we're educators or whatever, um, it's really, really nice to know as a kid that someone believes, even if it's one person who yeah, really believes in you and communicates that to you routinely can make a world of difference. Because I could yeah. have bought into what some of you know, my more jerk teachers told me and stuff like that, sure. or I could have bought into what you know, certain, um, whether it's like uh, you know, role models um, at my church or my mom or whatever the case might be who were incredibly supportive. And, yeah. and there was a, you know, I have to say too, there was also a bit of a, you know, going back to this defiance piece that you keep bringing up, Ian, I think I have a little bit of a, uh, uh, I don't know if, like a, an angry flare where it's like if someone says that to me, rather than, you know, think to myself, maybe they're right, I have the opposite, which is, oh yeah, yeah. watch yeah and and, and but and, and so sometimes you know i'll i'll work too much or whatever it takes but yeah. i will like if you say it to me i'm like I, I tell my wife sometimes if you um if you want me to do something tell me i can't yeah um, and i you know and i'll show you so and, and so that obviously you know um can go both ways too if you take it to the extreme um but that's that's the way i was i remember i don't know if you're a, a big basketball fan i'm a huge basketball fan mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I actually grew up not liking Michael Jordan. Uh, I, I respect him. I think, I think he's amazing as a basketball player. I never liked him, but I remember at his Hall of Fame speech, he was, um, rather than, you know, thanking everyone and being nice, he was basically just being like, you know, I, this person told me this, 
They said yep. I couldn't do this, and so I did it. And it was like that, and I was like, oh my gosh, that, that's like, that weirdly sounds like the way I sometimes view things. If you say I can't, I'm like, okay, you'll see. Um, and so I have that streak about me. And so I think that as adults, if we can instill in kids um, and just younger people in general, uh, you know, that, look, there are going to be, look, if someone says something about you, that's just their perspective that's their view sure. for whatever reason they believe it but it's you decide whether or not you buy into that okay um, and, and also like you're able to do it you just have to make that choice and try but if you think if you think you're not going to do it you're not going to put your best foot forward and it's over exactly yeah I have that same thing too where but there's so there, there's I want to go into the your your real professional background too with the psychology because there's there's a lot of depth in there that I want to make sure the the audience understands. One, there's a lot of things we got to talk about. We got to break down some things here. Um, it doesn't make me angry. I think I think because my dad would just never made it a big deal. And that's why my dad and I are still close. And I'm almost 39 years old. My dad and I are, we just got back from a week in, in, in LA for his birthday. Like we're that close because my dad's very authentic and very unconditional mm-hmm. and not to say my mom isn't, she isn't. However, she worried so much about what people were going to think based on mm. her own programming from her childhood. It sounds very mm-hmm. similar to what your, your parents were. I wonder what the percentage of parents out there are that are doing the, the non-serving piece to their kids by going with something that's said or something that's done that makes them look better or, um, I don't know, I'm trying to craft this sentence in my head. Like, There's so many parents that go and do the thing that makes them look good but it might not be the best and most serving thing for the kid. I've experienced that. You've experienced that. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean we have bad parents. It doesn't mean that they did something wrong. It just means that parents need to get their things in order internally before they start projecting and casting it onto their children, in my opinion. right? There's a, a, a big piece of my coaching business is, is fathers, especially fathers of daughters, who I say, look, you've got to get your stuff real clear really clear your mom issues your women issues like you got to get your feminine energy issues like real clear because your daughters are going to pick up on a lot of stuff and i just i don't know is that a statistic it probably isn't it's not like a real thing but i watched during covid people who were so pissed off and angry in my neighborhood because the schools were closed and then all of a sudden the schools were being opened and it was like a mad rush to get rid of their kids, literally get rid of their kids. Because school, what you saw is kids can get educated at home, but it's not convenient mm-hmm. for parents. So what school is, was a giant babysitter. That's what I saw. And that's why like, I looked at that and I went, I would never send my kid to that school. I'd never send my kid to the school around here, a public school. And I went to all the public schools in here because I grew up in this town. And... I just I, I don't I don't know what my question is. I'm throwing stuff out there. Maybe you can catch on to something. It's cool to have somebody to talk with about this who has the level of education you do and expertise. But what can parents do to not worry so much about what they're gonna look like or what people are gonna say or think and do based on how their kid operates, but to show their kid unconditional love and not 
like not make their kid feel like that person's opinion is worth more than they are, which is something that I felt when I was a kid, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, when I was listening to you speak just now, the thing that kept like coming back to me in was you have to care more about your kid than yourself. Yeah. Um, you know, the story you're bringing up with your mother and what I'm talking about with my father, um, obviously I don't know your mother, but like um, it, it might be the thing that we're there, you know, folks are more concerned about the reflection on them. Sure. How will they be viewed? Did they do a bad job parenting? <laughs> right. Um, whatever the case might be. And if you're more interested in, if you're more concerned about how people might view you and your family than your kid's best interest, then you're going to behave a very different way than if you say, look, I just want my kid to do well. If so-and-so thinks something about me, whatever, um, but I have to put my kid first. And that sounds like very obvious. Yeah, of course, put your kid first. Like everyone would agree with that on paper. (laughs) But when you're having your own feelings about your kid and maybe, you know, that rocking your world in terms of like, well, I envision something very different for them. Or I thought that others would view me, I hope others view me a different way. That will very easily influence the way you treat your child, the way you respond to criticism, outside voices, and all this kind of stuff. I think, so I think that's the key, like putting, the, putting your kid first, you know, that's yeah. huge. Um, but well, how do you get rid of those voices, though? And I, I know we talk about this a lot on this podcast, but that, that's, that's a parent's own, um, let's face it, most people who are in the trap, who are on the, on the, I call it the conveyor belt to the grave, who okay. go to school to get good grades, to go to college, to get a good job, to rise up in that job and get this and get this sure. and get this and retire and then take their little two-week holiday and then die, like, which is, by the way, the majority of the world, uh, uh-huh. especially in this country. Um, how, how can parents, people in general who are going to be parents, especially parents, how can they set, like step off that treadmill or that conveyor belt and say, okay, I need to own some stuff in me right now, you know, preferably, preferably before you have a kid. But really, if you have a kid now, realize that the way you did things, the way your parents did things, it probably won't serve your kid at the highest level as a complete picture. There are going to be things that you need to just let go of from the past, the way your parents did things, the way you think you should do things. And not carry that forward to another generation. How do people stop that treadmill for a second? Get off of it and go, okay, I need to work on me, like in your opinion. Like, like, like personal development, internal stuff. Yeah, Ian, I think, I think we have to back up. I think most people don't even know that they're on it, <laughs> right? The, the treadmill. So I think, I think you good, and I are point. talking about like, well, once you know you're on it, how do you get off? Well, <laughs> right. let's, 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 that's a big assumption because... Um, you know, I, let me share a personal thing. So I have a two year old son. He's going to be three next month. He's like the cutest kid in the world, you know, has, um, my curls, mom's red hair. He's just like cutest kid. And, um, we took him, we started taking him to soccer practice. Um, you know, if you can call it that, it's sort of like a, they play games, they kick a ball here and there, they sing songs, whatever. And I noticed like, he was like not as fast as certain other kids and all this kind of stuff. And I grew up playing a lot of sports and already I was starting to feel like the, all right, I got to like practice with, I'm like, dude, he's two, you know? And like, I had to step back. Like my wife said, who cares? Like he's just at a, whatever was this toddler soccer practice. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I also, like we all have the, like what we hope for them, what we wish they become, all this kind of stuff. And so we need to be like, look, 
who cares? Like he's having a great time. Right. He's incredible in all these different ways. Like, and I, I need, I, I need his enjoyment of this soccer practice and our father son time and all that kind of stuff. That needs to be more important than my wish for him to become Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Totally, um, totally. It's a great and, point. And so. Yeah, and so like, so I'm not immune to it. So I'm not like this, you know, enlightened person who doesn't. So these are real things that we all, as parents, um, you know, have to think through. So, you know, I, I guess I would I would encourage parents who are listening to this to ask, you know, in what ways am I more concerned about me when it comes to my child versus my concern for them? And and you got to be honest with yourself. Like, you know, nothing I say is going to change someone like, oh, okay. You know, like you actually have to ask yourself the question. When I, when I was upset with them or I wanted them to be different, was that for them or was that for me? And if it's for you, you're going to hit a problem, right? You're going to push them in ways that there, it's not the right way to push them. And you're going to start butting heads. You're going to have that antagonistic relationship. You're, you might not have that week with your 39-year-old son in, you know, right. in L.A. years down the line. So it's these kinds of things that we have to set as foundations, as you know, parents, teachers, all this kind of stuff, in caring more about them than ourselves. So ask yourself that question. I guess that's what, um, that's what I would encourage people to do. That's such a great point because I find I, I'm not perfect either. I'm just behind this mic doesn't mean I'm perfect or yeah. I, right. I, I found myself like my daughter was three. She was at a ballet class. There's like 30 parents sitting in the room. My daughter's the only one not doing the ballet yeah. thing. She's just walking around the room, hanging out yeah. and not happy. And I'm like, I started thinking like, wow, this is probably the feelings that my mom would feel. But my mom mm-hmm. was feeling when I was on the lacrosse field and I was, I, w- I, I was like walking around the goal net, you know, like trying to figure out how it was made versus paying attention to the game. And I, I think the biggest thing that, that I did and what you were talking about was I caught myself in that moment and I said, who's this about? Is this about what I look like or is this about her enjoyment right now in the present moment? And then from there, because uh, I, I was frustrated. I was like upset. I'm like, why is my kid the only freaking kid out there that's not doing anything? But I knew mm-hmm. that was about me. I knew that was about me looking good or avoiding looking bad or shit. There was no evidence. Nobody, I didn't hear anybody go, ooh, that's the weird kid in class. And nobody said that. And nobody would believe me either because if you look at my Facebook page and you see my daughter on camera, you'd be like, wow, that kid is talented. That's because I've helped focus her talent, her, her power into something that's a good outlet for her, which is speaking on camera because something that she can practice and get good at and she gets nice self-esteem and – you know, I'm sure it'll have its challenges later on in life as she gets older, but whatever. So my question that I was thinking of while you were talking is how do you balance that present moment versus thinking about the future, especially with a child? I mean, we're always thinking about the future, the college, saving for college. Hope my kid has a good job. Make sure you save for retirement. Hey, by the way, put some stuff away because, hey, you're old man and, 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 and your mom are going to get older. You might need to take care of us because we mm-hmm. didn't save. You know, like how do you – in your opinion, stay present and not worry about all the other people and what they may or may not be thinking or saying, but also stay present and not so focused on what could be down the line. Yep. You know, there's a, there's a couple different aspects in there. It's like, is it about you or, or them? How do you stay present and not worry about what you think th- might be going on in that moment? 
in other people? And how do you not stay focused on just the, the future? Yeah. I think it's also worth saying, Ian, um, before I get into the heart of your question, sure. that you know, you've talked about it now with your daughter at the ballet class. I've talked about it with my son in the soccer class. It's normal to have the feeling. Sure. You're not a crappy parent if you have the feeling. <laughs> right. Right? It's what you do in response to the feeling. So if people are out there be like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. Like, I'm doing that. I'm guilty. Like, we're, you're going to have the feeling where you had a different hope or your hope and your expectation might be misaligned. That's okay. What you do with it, like recognizing it, asking yourself, is it more about, like, is this feeling more about me or for them? Um, and, and then what you do with it from there. So, so that's important to say, you know, don't, you know. And I think that goes to the, it's related to the piece about being present. Because if you're now worried about the worry, and then you're responding to the worry, and, and all of a sudden you're, you're locked, you know, like you're in your head, there, there's no way to, like, you're, you're going to have a hard time breaking out of that. As far as, you know, thinking about the future stuff, um, you know, there are, there are things that, you know, when you talk about like finances and saving enough, and investing enough and all that kind of stuff, what I, what I do and what I encourage others to do, automate that stuff as much as you can. Yeah. Um, don't think, in other words, don't think about it. If you had to manually go in at the end of the month and say, whatever's left over, I'm going to invest, like chances are you're probably not going to do a very good job at that versus probably, if you automate yeah. it, say, you know, at the beginning of the month, you know, it'll, X amount will go into my 401k, this much will go into my saving, whatever, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I don't, I don't think about that stuff very much because I sort of set it um, and forget it, if you will, and every, you know, couple times a year I'll... Um, and, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but um, Ramit Sethi, um, I've been following his work for years, and he talks a lot about personal finance and all this kind of stuff, and he's terrific for folks who are interested in that world. But um, as far as, but then there's the other side of staying present and, um, you know, future-proofing and all this kind of stuff. You know, where, you know, if my kid, you know, what happens right now, like in the soccer practice or whatever the case may be, how do you stay present focused versus worry about, well, well, if I don't do the right thing now, then they're going to fail in school and all this kind of, first of all, there's no, there's no evidence for that, right? Maybe they like didn't do as well on the test. Maybe your kid ran around in the ballet class or whatever. And what? So she ran around in the ballet class. Okay. And what? Well, people might have thought that she's, okay, and what? Well, they're not going to, like, talk to me because they don't want my kid to hang out with the kid who's running around the back. Okay, and what? <laughs> right. All right, well, then they're going to be alone, and they're never going to have friends, and they're going to live in some, I don't know, studio in some bad part. And you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. ask, like, what is it that I'm actually concerned about? Like, so, you know, you know how, like, the toddler asks, Why? 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 Until you're like, I don't know, because God made it that way or whatever. You're just kind of like you, you reach that point. Ask yourself that question. And what? OK, she doesn't do ballet. And what? What's the problem? And ask yourself that question. I think for most people, um, if we're being you know, honest and reasonable about it, we'll quickly realize like, oh, first of all, the thing I'm like worried about when I ask myself that question isn't like that bad. It doesn't mean she's going to be on the street alone you know, with, with no social connection or, right. not, you know, whatever. Um, and also, what is the likelihood of that thing you're so worried about happening? Yeah, you know? probability. Um, and when you ask yourself, yeah, and when you ask yourself those questions, it's, you know, I think you quickly get to the, like for me, you know, and, and to use my son as an example, okay, he's not, like, let's say he's not the fastest, like, kid in the side, and what, uh, he 
I don't know, doesn't become a professional soccer player. And what, uh, I'm stuck, you know, like that's the end of that. Yeah, and totally. So it's like, whatever, who cares, right? Um, he's incredible, he's, you know, he's insanely verbal and memorizes like movie quotes and it's like really weird. I was like, you're too, why, how do you do that? But so that's, that's what I encourage folks to do. Ask yourself, okay, let's, let's dig into it. Rather than say, oh, don't think like that. That's not helpful thinking, whatever. Okay, sure. let's entertain this for a while. Yeah, that's such a great point, man. And what? So what? So what evidence do you have to prove? I use a, a an exercise in my coaching business called evidence versus emotion. And uh, it was funny. I was running my buddy through this the other day, and he was, like, complaining to me about something that his kids were doing. And I said, all right, well, where's, what, what evidence do you have to support your crazy theory that your kids are X? And he said, uh, and he was, like, grasping. And I said, you don't, dude. You just don't. That stuff's based on your past, your trauma, but, you as a kid. But also but saying right it is now, true. What? And what? Like, right, yeah, what's what is so terrible about that? And right. let's talk about right. that, you know? Yeah, totally. Uh, and then quickly totally. you'll be like, uh, I guess maybe I shouldn't be as worried about it. You know, like, maybe right. it is true. Okay, <laughs> yeah. let's just be agnostic. Let's be scientists. And what? But think okay. about the, What's think our about the trajectory that? that you went through, which mo- like, I, now I'm going to say most, unfortunately, I think most parents go through that when they when you're like, well, but they're not paying attention. They're not going to get good grades and they're not going to get a good, good college and not going to get a good job. And then they're going to live in some seedy part of the city and it's going to be really bad. They're going to be on drugs and they're going to like, what are you talking about? She's she's just running around in a, a ballet class. Like, That's it. And my mind wasn't going there, but I know I have a lot of friends and clients whose minds do go there, and that is nutty. Mm-hmm. But that is such a that's such a projected fear. I want to talk about that for a second. How how parents who project their fears, their traumas, their stuff onto their kids. A lot of times it's done through things like education in school, like yours did or like mine did. And my, my, my parents went to college. My dad dropped out of college. And then obviously he went back to like night school um, because society basically said you had to get that piece of paper and to, to kind of be something. Not true, but in his mind it was. Same thing that he told me. He said, look, you got to go to college. You know, you got to go to college. It's what society demands of you. They, you got to have that piece of paper. I'm paying for it. Consider yourself lucky. That's it. Just go have fun. But what my dad said, which was very beneficial, because my mom, on the other hand, and not nothing against my mom, but my mom was stuck in her fears, and she was running her programs, her tapes, out at me. Like the projector was, you know, your eyes just aren't to see. They're projectors of, of that forward future. My mom was trying to program that her projectors into my eyes for me to see what she was seeing, which was you, you have to go to college. You have to get good grades. Oh my God. If he doesn't graduate high school, what the hell is he going to do? My dad said, he's going to be fine. He'll be rich. Let's look at his brain, his defiance to society. Like he'll be fine. But my mom didn't believe that she was so scared that her one and only child was going to be a loser, a failure. And then what would it look like onto her? So how many people, are projecting their fears and insecurities on their children when it comes to school and school being one of those outlets. You know, like, is there a study done on that? Probably not. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm curious. Sure. Yeah, just perhaps. Curious. Yeah. But what, what, is it about, what is it about that track that the majority of people kind of buy into? And then I have another question behind this. This is from Tina Up, where it's like, 
it's the high school, it's the sports, it's the resume, it's make sure, like that's all my, I used to hear from my mom, it's make sure you get into all these different clubs, don't just swim, don't just play water polo at a high level, get into the, this club, the drama club, the, this club, it's going to look better on your resume or college acceptance you know, stuff, and, and I, 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 did, I hated that, like I hated that, I hated having to go sit in a room with the drama club or with the chess club just to make sure I could put that little sentence on my resume. Yep. I've never written a resume either, by the way, and I never will. And I made sure of that. My dad made sure of that. But you know what my dad told me when I went to college? He said, look, I know you could get straight A's. You're a really intelligent dude, but I don't want you getting straight A's. Like, he took the pressure off. He, he unscrewed the pressure relief valve, which was beautiful for me. He said, you come home with straight D's, I'm cool. I'll keep paying. You fail, I stop paying. It's the only caveat that I have. You come home with straight D, straight C, straight B, straight A's. That's what you decided you were going to get because I know you could hit the top. I know you could ace everything. But I don't want you focusing on that because I want to make sure that my money's going to a well-rounded education, which means I want you hanging out. I want you partying. I want you traveling. I want you doing other cool stuff. Be a part of a fraternity if you want. Get into things because you're not the structure guy. You're the guy that's going to tap into a bunch of different stuff. You're an orchestrator. You know, you're a facilitator. And that stuck with me. I'm an orchestrator. I'm a facilitator. I don't need to go to that class, learn that thing. I just need to go learn and learn about the guy who's the best in that class and facilitate him with the guy who needs it. And now I'm in. And that's how I started to build my life in college. And I loved it. But not a lot of kids get that kind of advice. And they're pushed into And I watch kids not literally kill themselves, but close to it, um, thinking about depression and suicide and, and because they had two, three jobs and they had to maintain certain grades to get into the right grad school, to get into the right med school program. And that's why I want to I want to ask you what 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 can kids do today to, to not have to be so stressed? And is it is it is it a reality like for kids that aren't in the professional world that are just going to go out and work in some corporate job do they really need to do that beat themselves up like that yeah you know it's it's interesting so i'm thinking about it i you know i obviously have a i always have my like college admissions hat on sure um, and i was uh when i was listening to you and i was like it's actually what you were describing as far as like get involved in this because it's going to look good right. that's actually a really bad way to approach sure. top college admissions so sure. ironically um you know where <laughs> You know, if you're if you're trying to if you think about top schools where I focus, you know, the Harvards, the Stanfords, the Vanderbilts, these kinds of places and uh, Hopkins in your town. Um, a lot of times like people will ask me, well, they should join this. Right. Or what's a good thing to join as though there's like a magic bullet, like a silver yeah, bullet a kind of thing. And, and there actually isn't. It's not like that. In fact, if you're trying to be well rounded in that way, you're not memorable in any way. OK. And so like the student who's in the drama club and the chess club and on the sports team and the science fair, whatever, if you say like, what are they known for? You're going to be like, mm, they do this, they do this <laughs> right. other thing. And they're not that memorable. Whereas if you really niche down and focus um, and, you know, say, look, I am, you know, I'm the facilitator. Maybe I'm like, I'm the facilitator guy, whatever. And so a parent, you know, who's really nervous, they're like, what do you mean facilitating? How do I put facilitator on a resume? Well, it's like, well, what area do I like? Like, how do I connect people? You know, maybe, maybe my, um, 
you know, my job becomes like connecting like local artists who don't have the same level of, um, you know, fame or notoriety or they're not getting the same media attention, whatever the case might be. It's like local galleries, whatever, and all this kind of stuff because I love art and I love connecting people. And like I start building this awesome network of unknown folks who are getting press and who knows, right? And that's like, yeah. that's really incredible. And, and same thing, you know, in, in our work, right? If you, if you stick to just like, well, this is your job description, this is what you're going to do, you're not going to make as big an impact. It's folks who say, actually, you know, I've observed this like gap that we have and I'm going to take it upon myself to, you know, to fill that gap and, you know, to develop this initiative to serve our company better, serve our customers better, whatever. That's entrepreneurship. I think people think about entrepreneurship like you got to live in your garage and eat mustard sandwiches on Wonder Bread or whatever <laughs> right. for a bunch of years right. and sleep on a dirty mattress. But it's not, it's not that, right? It's about like identifying things that you're good at and problems you want to solve and figuring out how to apply your skill set um, to solving that issue. And, and it's the same with our kids and as parents. So like if you're wondering, well, they just like to do X. I don't know how we're going to turn that into something. A, not everything has to be turned into a career, right? There are some things that could just be done for enjoyment. That's okay. Um, but then also don't, anytime a parent, uh, Ian, call, says something and prefaces with just, he just does this, or I don't know, it's just this hobby, it's just a hobby. Pay attention to that because you're yeah. probably underselling the potential of that just thing. Sure, sure. I love these guys. Like I, I'm obsessed with success stories of entrepreneurs like the guys from Airbnb. Mm. You know, like that's such mm -hmm. a dumb idea. And look at it now. And you just never know. Mm -hmm. You never know. How can parents really get out of their kids way and be, be instead of being the, the 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 blockade or the defense wall how can they stand behind and become like a tailwind for their kids instead of that like you know i have two different parents my 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 mom was extremely beneficial when i was younger to kind of protect me from things but as i got older like i really gravitated towards my dad because my dad was just so open and authentic and like yeah man listen like i have limitless possibilities tattooed on my arm because that's what my dad told me like there's limitless in here out there there are limitations but in here there's no mm -hmm. limitations except the ones you put on you outside they're going to give you limitations but if you don't believe that you're limited you're not limited. That's it. Like everything's limitless for you until you tell yourself that it can't happen. That's mm -hmm. it. And mm -hmm. so how can parents become that? Even if it's a wacky thing, like that, that, that the mom and dad just don't get like music or art or poetry or something like that. Dance. They, they weren't into it, but they, how do you encourage your kid to follow that passion? Because you don't know where it goes. You just have, you have no mm -hmm. idea where it goes. You know, but you're fueling yeah. a brain that can continue to think and process, which is still going to be good, even if they don't turn into a professional musician or a ballerina or something like that, you know? Yeah. I love asking our students a couple questions. Um, and I encourage parents to ask themselves or their kids these questions. Um, if your kid tells you they like something, ask them, what about it? they like yeah. I think people don't ask that question enough because um, you know if uh, you know if, if you you know sometimes they say oh my kid just likes photography 
What、yep. about it do you like? Because the what about it do you like is so telling, Ian, about what it is that they can focus on within that area. Because every、point. we all know, you know, and and we all know in every single field, there's a rabbit hole, right? Like if you're like into I don't know clothing, let's say. Clothing's a rabbit hole. There is design, manufacturing, viral yep. marketing. Yep. You know,、Branding. like like all、yep. this kind of stuff, and and like all of this stuff. I mean, like that's just clothes. When we say I like fashion, I like clothes. Well, like what, what about, about clothes? Do、love、you、that. like? Whole different thing. Well, I love I love photography. What about it? Do you like?、Um, I don't know. I just like I just really love like telling stories like through the images. I can. Oh, well, that's a very different answer. And okay, well, how can we use it to, you know, to create story? Whose stories are we trying to tell? You know, all this kind of—it just takes you down a different path. It's not just photography anymore. Yeah.、Um, the other two questions I like to ask, you know, when you know, it, a big thing in the college admission space has become these like passion projects or capstone projects, essentially like a peak achievement. Yeah.、Uh, with extracurriculars, and the questions I like to ask our students are: What population do you want to serve, and what problem do you want to solve? Because sometimes kids come to me. Let's say I'm interested in healthcare and I want to be a doctor. And you know, sometimes parents say, "Is it a good idea for them to join X?" I'm like, "I don't know. Depends what you like. You know, <laughs>、uh, it might be. You know, if my、uh, let's say you're like, well, should my kid, you know, volunteer、uh, or you know, work in this lab that studies like,、uh, you know." Alzheimer's, you know, Alzheimer's brain. We're using MRI imaging and all this kind of stuff. Whatever. Is that a good idea? Let me ask the kid. What population do you want to serve? Well, I want to serve, you know,、um, kids from low-income backgrounds who have autism. Well, for that kid, it's a terrible idea for them to, you know, do MRI work with the elderly population. Horrible idea. They're both healthcare, but it's a、yeah. horrible idea for that kid.、Um, versus, let's say, there's another kid who maybe observed, you know, their grandparents, you know, who. So, who had dementia, and it just really hampered their ability to like maintain close connections with their family, and so now they're really interested in like serving that population. It might be a great idea for them. But what if their answer to the second question is, well, what problem do you want to solve? Well, I want to make sure that I'm helping families maintain connection to the older generation, so intergenerational connection within this ethnic community. For that kid, even though they love working with the elderly population, the MRI lab idea is still terrible、yeah. because that's、yeah. not the thing they want to do within it. So maybe it's like, well, how do we, de- you know, develop like,、uh, you know, family education? How do we increase like intergeneration connections? Maybe we start a sports league that's like, I don't know, with pickleball and people can pay across ages and it's just fun and it's a way to come together. It's a whole different thing I would do. Based on so, if I come into it just blind, like you know,、uh, that's like opening a Microsoft Word document, Ian, and saying like, "What should I write about?" Right. I don't know. <laughs> it sounds so simple I, I and so easy, but like what you're saying is not is not very simple. Like there's a lot of depth to what you're saying, a lot of depth there, and that's the pigeonhole yeah, piece so that like, I was thinking. Like parents are parents are asking for their children, not empowering their children to ask. And unfortunately, the majority of the population, in my opinion, not based on fact, just what I know and have seen in my experience, 
has just kind of gone the route of what their parents go through because I'll tell you right now, I have 50 and 60-year-old coaching clients that are very successful people that are only in that world, only in that job because that's what their parents wanted them to do 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. And now they're coming to me saying, hey, man, I want to start my own business. Like, I got to get out of this corporate thing. I did that for mom and dad. Mom and dad are dead. And I just realized that I haven't been living my life for me. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, what you're saying is those questions alone could not only help focus but empower a kid to make a great decision on what they feel at that time will serve them best. And that's very specific language mm-hmm. in there. It's not what's right or wrong. It's not what is going to happen in 30 years. It's just what at that specific time is going to serve them best for what they see as their future the next four years. That's great. I love mm-hmm. that. I absolutely love that. I want to get into yeah, one more and thing. And for all the fo- Sorry, go, go ahead, ahead please. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you know, a quick thing too, um, a quick follow-up to that, Ian, is sometimes parents worry about certain areas being having greater potential than others and stuff like this. So like, you know, if their kid's into, you know, I've noticed certain patterns. If their kid's really into medicine or like software development or coding, parents don't really question that that much. But if there's a kid who's like really into fashion or, you know, all this kind of stuff, they're like, uh, you know, is that really going to get you? (laughs) Well, the owner of Spanx is a billionaire. True. You know what I mean? The same way this developed. So in other words, every single space if you follow it intelligently from a financial success, you know, let's talk about success right now in a very, this very limited way, this financial thing. Yeah. Every space has that ceiling, that, or the lack of ceiling, right? That insane ceiling, that blue sky possibility. So don't limit your kid with your own feelings about, ah, oh, this space is less, you know, can, is less likely to yield the results we want and stuff like that. Sure. No, only if you stop them from pursuing it the right way yeah great point great point point. and it goes back to what you say in the beginning which is is this about you or is this about them mm-hmm. you know as a parent and then here's the thing that's not just parental advice that's advice in general that's great advice for salespeople, married people people who are trying to make their point at the grocery store. I mean, who knows? They're either, you know, most people like to argue and fight their opinion for their opinion, which most of the time is worthless anyway. But is it about you or about them? That's so easy. Like I'm telling you, man, with, I'm mm-hmm. glad we did this because what we're uncovering here sounds so simple, but it's not, it really is not simple at all. It's mm-hmm. very deep and, and simple in its execution, maybe not in its background of what you have to clear out and remove from your own internal world and dialogue to be able to just be unconditional and saying to your kid, Hey, what is it about that that you really like? But mm-hmm. all of the things, all the ideas that I jotted down that I wanted to talk to you about, they all just kind of got fell by the wayside because we focused up on like what we're seeing, which is the most important thing. And I don't really actually have to make it about me and my opinion about college. So that's why we didn't talk about that because you made it about you. I needed to make it about you and your expertise is taught us so many different things. We don't have to think about that. So we don't have to think about like the job market or, or the cost of college. I kind of want to get your opinion on actually. It's, it's not me. It's not about me. I just honestly want to get your opinion when our kids, like I have a one-year-old son, you have a two-year, almost three-year-old son and I have a five-year-old daughter as well. 
what happens to the price of college? What what where do, where does this thing go? Is it a bubble that's going to burst? Because I mean, are you and I spending half a million dollars a year on our our kids' college education? Which I'm not because I'm I will not pay for that. But what's the deal? Like, what's your opinion on that? I think so. It so depends on the specifics, right? Yeah. Um, what does someone want to do, and what do they actually need to make that happen? You know, you brought sure. up a point earlier about well, if someone wants to be a physician. They have to go to college and they have to go to medical school. If someone wants to um, work with their hands, start a plumbing business, they might not need that, you know? Yeah. Um, but, it, but I think that's just like, a, I'm, I'm using sort of like a stereotypical example, right? The, the person who, um, you know, does a labor job versus, you know, a white collar job, all this kind of stuff. Sure. But it's, I'm, I'm saying it to make a point. So I think that's really critical, first things first. Um, not just the whether or not you should go to college, but also how much you should pay for it, where you should go, and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, because sometimes, you know, if uh, if it's going, you have to figure out. Okay, look, if it's if we're going to pay X amount of dollars, and my kids, you know, wanting to pursue X, Y, and Z kind of position, you know, how long will they actually have to, you know, work to pay for that? Because that also influences what you do and where you live. How many sure. people do we know, Ian, uh, as adults, like? chose to live somewhere they were less excited about, but the cost of living was cheaper because they have loans. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or um, they couldn't do X, Y, and Z because they had these loans and stuff. So it influences your decision. Now look, if you have a lot of money, then it doesn't matter, right? Like whatever, right. and you want to spend it on college, go for it by yeah. all means, like that's your prerogative. But if you're having to you know, start make, you know, thinking about, well, if I send my kid to this school, it's this price tag and we can't do these other things, you have to start making those decisions. It's a personal thing. At the, at the, on, the, on the flip side though, I think that college is, uh, you know, we have a lot, going back to having facts and data and all this kind of stuff, people who go to college and then pursue you know, professional degrees and graduate degrees and stuff like that, they do earn more. Now, so, so, you know, on average, they're going to do better financially, okay? Now, would sure. that have been worth it? Well, how much did they have to spend to make that all that kind of... So that's, those are the details we have to uncover. But sometimes I think parents yeah. will look at, you know, the high sticker price of top colleges and say, oh, 60000 I'm not going to go there. Well, it depends how much you make because when I went to an Ivy League school, my parents really couldn't afford it. And I almost got a full ride and fully need-based because we couldn't afford it. Mm. So you have to use things like these net price calculators and actually figure it out and all this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm very pro-college. Don't, don't get me wrong. I went to yeah. college. I help people get into college. It helps people, you know, um, you know achieve uh, you know, financial success they otherwise would, have, would struggle to and all this kind of stuff. Is it for everyone? No. I don't have a strong opinion because it depends on what you want to do. But well, even that's if the big it thing. is for yeah. you, where you go and how you pursue it and how you, those are important questions. I think Good sometimes point. people oversimplify this in and say, is it for everyone? You don't even have to go. That's not right. really the question. I think it's great for a lot of people. How you pursue it is the question. Yeah, that's a great point. And, it, and, and that opens up my eyes a little bit more because I think I have a little bit of anger for sure. being pushed to go to college. I, my dad and I were talking about it on the plane ride home. He's like, oh, we, no, we drove by Pepperdine. We drove by Pepperdine and I said, "Yeah, see that? Why couldn't you have sent me there? Why can't you pay for that? Yeah. And he's like, I didn't know about it. You chose a school yeah, yeah. in Northeast Pennsylvania, which, by the way, I support financially my, on my college because, in my opinion, everybody doesn't need to go to college. And sure. yes, do the people who have an idea at 18 years old, 
that they want to be a, this doctor, professional, lawyer, you know, things like that that need higher education. Mm-hmm. Shit, if, eight, if at 18 years old you know that, awesome. That's awesome, right? I didn't. Um, but I also think that there are, there are opportunities that open in college and passions that are ignited in college, in that environment. As long as you're – like to your point, which opened my eyes up, it's not college. It's, it's the right environment. It's the one that serves you best. Mm-hmm. It's not the cost. It's the does that work for you. What is it about that college, about that thing that you like, like you were talking about earlier? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a part of me that says, you know, there's I have a lot of friends, family, people that are that are, are, are squirreling money and they are sacrificing so much in terms of experiences and, and moments and memories now to make sure their kids have to go to college. In my opinion, with these specific people I'm talking about, it's because they're, they, will ne- they will never be able to admit to their friends and their other family members that I'm okay with my kid doesn't choose to go to college. Like they couldn't sit in a room mm-hmm. and be okay with that. Now, do I believe that, that these kids who are very smart, do I believe that they will get to college and they will figure some stuff out? Absolutely. And is that a roll of the dice? A little bit. A little bit because you're basically rolling the dice that this kid's going to get something from this sacrifice that you've made for so long to squirrel all this cash away. And the kid has no idea because the parents aren't asking those great questions like you brought up. Like, well, what do you like about climbing trees? What do you like about working with tools? What do you like about taking the radio apart? They'll pinpoint that and focus that energy, attention, money, finances, resources on the right school that could blossom that kid instead of like, I think college did to me, and not my college's fault, by the way. I love my college. Um, but it squashed me because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I remember resume writing class. They'd be like, why do you skip three weeks in a row? I'm like, because I'll never write a resume. They go, why? Because I want to work for my dad. I, I'll never have a job. I'll never need a resume. Who told you that? My dad. Who pays for your college? My dad. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Your, your dad told you to never write a resume, but he pays for your college? Who wanted you to go to college? My mom and dad. That's very interesting, right? But that's, that was true for me. So like, I'm hoping that, 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 there, that people get out of this conversation that we've had, that it is literally in the letting go of your own stuff and in the practice and, and moving forward through proper and, and, and I guess serving questions to ask your children what it is that they like, what they want, what is it about that that they, that they need or desire or whatever. And then you make it about them, not about you and your fears and insecurities and what you're going to look like or whatever. And that's pretty much just human behavior anyway. All we're just popping it into is the college debate and talk, right? So it's mm-hmm. just human nature anyway. It's a cool conversation. Yeah. It's a cool conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this has been really fun. And yeah. and yeah, absolutely. It's just the, yeah, the big takeaway is like, ask the questions. You know, you're worried about your kid not doing X and what. Right. They're doing this, ask them what. Just ask the question. That it's It requires such little effort. You just have to be willing to do it. And, um, and you know, even, you know, coming full circle here, Ian, like you said, you're like, ah, I was hesitant about having you on and all this kind of stuff, you know. What's the worst? You know, we, we have an argument about the virtues of college. Uh, <laughs> well, that's what I said. You know, to, that's but, what I said to myself. Yeah. My, and then I, I said to my wife, um, I, I, I don't want to make it about me. I don't want to get on and like fight with someone about my opinion. Like I'm not educated right. on it. I'm just telling my opinion. 
the audience doesn't want my opinion. They want your expertise. So when my wife said, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? You don't air it? And I said, that's a good point. She goes, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're not going to learn shit from a guy that's like massively educated and an expert in the field. You're just going to sit there the whole time. And like, you're not a, you're not a closed person. You're going to be open. You don't have strong enough opinions to like fight with someone. You're always open to hearing somebody else. I don't care if you don't believe them, them or not. I want to always learn. So maybe that's the biggest lesson here is it wasn't about me. It was about what the audience would want to hear. And if I am the gatekeeper, technically, I guess I am. You're the uh, facilitator. You're the facilitator, orchestrator of information, right? Then then I have to at least hear it, and I know Mm -hmm. what they want. So my opinion really isn't in there. And I gave you a little bit of my opinions, but it really was more in an inquiry versus a uh, opposition, which is very unlike my diagnosis from five years old. So I think this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. I know the audience does. I think you got, you gave a a lot of info that I never thought would come from this conversation when I originally saw your one sheet. So now I've learned to look even, even farther past what I think that initial piece is to what's possible just from a conversation between two adults who want to educate other people on some things, you know, it's cool. It's really cool. So thanks for being here. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, I'm going to call you Shirag now. The doctor was from the beginning. Um, I had some people ask me last week, do people pay you to be on the podcast? And I said, no. And they said, well, why do you give out their website? And I said, because they've spent time educating you. So that's like the little prize at the end that they get to give out where people can find them. I don't care. What do I care? If I don't support somebody, I'm not going to have them on the show anyway. So way before. And there's, listen, nine out of 10 people I turn down. I get pitched freaking 10 people a day. So um, I'm glad I said yes to this. The universe opened that one up. So really, thanks for your time today. Thanks for being here. And, and, uh, and audience, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one.